Welcome to the York County Economic Alliance podcast, produced in partnership with BizNews PA. I'm Joel Berg, editor and founder of BizNews PA. Today, we're talking logistics with Mike Pritchard, Chief of Transportation Planning for the York County Planning Commission, Joe Garner, Director of Operations at JLS Automation, Ryan Polikoff, President of Nexteris Inc., and Dr. Mohamed Raja, Associate Professor of Supply Chain Operations and Department Chair for Operations and Information Technology at the Graham School of Business, York College of Pennsylvania. Welcome. So we'll get to the uh, the first question, which I think is on a lot of people's minds, even though it's been a while, but uh, what happened to supply chains during the pandemic and after the pandemic? How did we get where we are today? Why were they so stressed? And Ryan, let's start with, with you. Sure. Yeah, I think one of the one of the things that happened, you know, for 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 better to say if there's something that could be better that comes out of a global pandemic is what happened during COVID-19 was it shone a light on the importance of supply chain strategy, infrastructure and companies realized this is, uh, you know, when, when I need to flex to a tier two supplier, I don't have the right warehouse. I don't have the right freight strategy. It really hurt financially you know, with a lot of their own customers shutting down. So. That's led now to, you know, kind of looking at an after, as, as we're in the aftermath, companies weren't sure what was going to continue to happen, when it would stop. They're sitting on excess inventory, too much raw material. It's led to a lot of business development reforecasting. So if anything, it's helped elevate the importance of supply chain strategy and infrastructure at the strategic level. Thank you. Mike, how about you? What, what's your take on that? Yeah, I think the other thing that the pandemic helped to illustrate was the shift from uh, logistics used to be point A to point B. Uh, and now every home, every business is a destination for freight. So it's no longer about uh, getting things just from one factory to another, but to uh, from the factory, from you know a, a warehousing hub to every single house in a subdivision. And I think looking at the regional level and the county level, that's something that we are, we are working on uh, trying to improve. How does that change planning for local? You. Yeah, I, I think it, it, we, we used to look at uh, truck routes, right? What roads are trucks allowed to move on? And now, uh, you know, every neighborhood has a sign that says uh, no trucks except local deliveries. Well, local deliveries are happening all the time everywhere. Uh, and so there's, there's additional, you know, disruptions to the quality of life uh, if you have increased truck volumes on these roads that were just not uh, planned or built for that, that kind of activity. Dr. Roger? So, so for me, I, I echo exactly what Ryan said. I think that the COVID pandemic, because it lasted so long, it kind of gave us a reset. We were forced to evaluate all the things that we've been doing as supply chain professionals. Granted, supply chain is still a newer discipline compared to marketing, finance, HR, but we had gotten complacent. There were certain things that were just happening. The pandemic kind of really made us think about what demand and supply balance should be. And, and truly, we went back and then revisited all those principles that we were running with and said, OK, are these principles valid for the future? So I think it was a reset. It was a great reset. We, we saw where our holes were. And now we are in the process of kind of getting to the root cause to um, rectify those. Yeah. And did it create new holes? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It, 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 it has, I, I don't see them as holes. Wherever there are challenges, I see them as opportunities. So I, I think we have great opportunities in the future now. Yeah. 
Thanks. Joe, what, what did you see at JLS? You guys obviously were bringing in supplies from all of, from many different locations. What did you see as a cause? Sure. Mo moving upstream, right, in, in the packaging side of it, right, bef before it even gets to, to the truck and the routes, um, you, ha you have so many resources that have retired due to the pandemic and they're not in the workplace. So, so the labor pool is limited. So as, as our customers look at their technology within their factory, they're looking at more automation, more streamline, how, how to get the same amount of product out. So really the, the focus on, on the technology and the labor pool. So do you think we're, we're out of the woods? No, definitely not, <laughs> right? What it's done is it's opened uh, customers' eyes to the need of the technology due to the lack of, of the labor pool. And, and let's be candid, I mean, the pandemic sent a message, you know, don't touch the food, right? Don't touch it, right? And, and more automation and more uh, equipment that's packaging will streamline that process. Yeah. <clears throat> Ryan, do you think we're out of the woods yet? <laughs> no, and, and I think a statistic that came out last week uh, by the Council Supply Chain Management Professional, CSCMP does a great job reporting industry trends data analysis, said that over 70% of companies, small, mid, and large, will invest in supply chain technology in, in the next three to five years. And, and, and you know, it's, it's really become a thing that's come full circle from, you know, it, it used to be this kind of backroom function that, you know, procurement did a piece of and, and warehouse did a piece of, but now it's at the conference room table, it's at C-suite, and companies are learning how to deal with something like this if it happens again. So no, we're not out of the woods yet, but we're learning things. Yeah. What sorts of technologies are companies looking at? Well, at first it starts with what what is the tech stack that they have, right? So even before you get into logistics and supply chain, companies are actually starting to invest in, hey, I need some kind of base ERP no matter how big I am. So investing in the right kind of enterprise resource planning system, then figuring out, okay, what makes sense for me in terms of a TMS, a WMS, does an MRP make sense? How do I integrate with, with this? How do I integrate with my customer, my carrier? I think once you get down to the freight level, you, what you're going to see and what we've seen for a lot of small manufacturers is more companies are developing direct APIs with freight carriers faster than the last two to three years. So that, that dispatches go smoother, um, reporting gets better, billing gets easier. And so things like EDI and XML are dying a much needed death. And we're, we're finally getting the data proliferation that's been a long time coming. It's good to see. <laughs> Mike, how about you? Do you think we're out of the woods or? I think we're, I have a slightly different uh, viewpoint on things, <laughs> looking, looking, you know, more broadly at transportation, uh, transportation trends. I think we're, we saw such a reduction in passenger travel, obviously, during the pandemic. And that is now coming back to sort of pre-pandemic trends. So you have this elevation of the need for local deliveries, as I talked about, met with this back to pre-pandemic, you know, passenger uh, passenger vehicle tra travel, and so we're we're reaching congestion that um, it's creating new bottlenecks. It's creating new uh, points for us to to investigate and and try to improve. So so yes and no. Yeah. <clears throat> so I'll put you on the spot. Besides Route Thirty, what are the actual bottlenecks? <laughs> Where should people avoid? Yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't look at it as places to avoid, honestly. <laughs> Uh, but I, I do think that, you know, one of the things that we're, we're looking at is those locations where we're seeing a proliferation of warehousing and industrial um, activity uh, on specifically local roads. So it's, 
you can focus obviously on those major corridors uh, and and we do but one of the most difficult things to to try to fix is um, that that side of things those, those road links uh, just off of the the core network um, that were built you know um, 100 150 200 years ago uh, for literal horses and wagons and they're now being tasked with carrying you know hundreds of trucks a day yeah i'm thinking of exes 24 and 28 mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. Shrine mm-hmm. Center, i mm-hmm. think are the mm-hmm. two key points sure yep yep um, <clears throat> and i guess we will get an exit in between there the 26 some point canal road i you put me really on the spot here. <laughs> uh, there's certainly preliminary, very preliminary uh, uh, planning that's happening around that. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll shift the spotlight. But <laughs> so, Dr. Raj, I'm curious, how has the pandemic changed the way you teach logistics? Oh, it's 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 great. Now everything is 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 right in front of them because the students actually live through it. So now, when you say, "Remember this happened," they say, "Oh, yeah." How do you tackle this? Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but to your previous question, I'd, I'd also like sure. to chime in in terms of are we out of the woods? I think I'm, I'm, I'm with Mike over here. The worst is behind us. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we are learning from that structure. Um, so in, in, in terms of a framework, uh, I always look at the, the world before the pandemic and the world after the pandemic. And one thing that comes to mind for every supply chain professional is this concept of the bullwhip effect. This was a big thing that Procter and Gamble did when they were seeing fluctuations in their orders and demands. Uh, Bullwhip always existed. COVID kind of just magnified the variation. So when I say the worst is behind us, variation is always going to be there. Now we are coming back to manageable levels of variation. So supply chain is always balancing demand and supply. It's not an equal to equation. We are trying to balance it. So I think the worst is behind us and then uh, that big magnification is done. Mm-hmm. For students, this is a great thing because they can relate to it. Um, unfortunately, uh, in our area, there are still some students don't know what supply chain is. They think that supply chain is about trucking. And I tell them, no, this is a much bigger thing mm-hmm. that you have to deal with. And then when you bring in the strategic end, that kind of excites them. And mm-hmm. as a discipline, this is holistic. I need to know a little bit about materials. I need to know a little bit about information systems. I need to know a little bit about finance, everything. I mean, supply chain as a discipline is holistic. So it kind of excites some of the students with those kind of skill sets. Yeah. And it changed the way you teach it because they have, they, they experience the toilet paper Absol- shortages. Oh, absolutely. All the rest. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Joe, what have you seen as far as um, the lasting effects of the pandemic and kind of the post pandemic on the supply chain? Uh, I think the biggest thing is the labor pool, mm-hmm. right? I mean, uh, the generations today, you you have to lead them in a different manner than, than when I was coming up through the ranks. Um, uh, the flexibility, um, they have they want to have a voice, right? And 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 uh, some say in in what the direction is. Um, so really developing that that next generation resource and. And mentoring, coaching uh, them like like we were mentored. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's going to be the next the next big challenge. Yeah. <clears throat> what does that require for managers who are maybe used to the older way of doing things? Well, they have to be open to that. Otherwise, they're going to lose some really good folks, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, generations today they want they want to be uh, 
guided in a manner, led in a manner, you know, this is where you need to be on this certain time, not how to get there. There may be certain guidelines and goals and objectives, but they want to have a voice in that, and and rightfully so. We don't we don't hire good people to tell them what to do. We hire good people to tell tell us what they're going to do mm-hmm. within our goals and objectives. Mm-hmm. Okay. <clears throat> Ryan, how about you? What do you see as as the longer lasting changes that we? from all this disruption in supply chains. I, I'm with Joe 100% of the people uh, equation, and that's where it translates directly to a lot, a lot of the work that uh, Dr. Raja does at York. It's hiring that next generation of talent, creating that safe space. It's different from the cultural burn of you know, 10, 15, 20, 25 years ago, and creating a safe space for them to come in, innovate, thrive, challenge the status quo. And we as management have to embrace that and implement it because, you know, Joe with the nail on the head, if not, we're gonna lose good people, we're gonna be stuck in antiquated processes, and you know, ultimately it's gonna affect results. What about the role of logistics sort of in the corporate structure? Um, we think mentioned it's gotten much more important. Would it have gotten reached this level, level of importance? What were we talking about chief supply chain officers in the absence of what we've been through? I, I, my, my personal bias take is yes, but the pandemic highlighted and uh, expedited that. I'm using a free word, but expedited that. Um, <laughs> so just, Love that. 20 years is what it does for you. But um, <laughs> It, 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 it shined the light on that. Mm-hmm. And so now, again, where you know, procurement owned a piece of it, warehouse had a piece of it, sales had, had a little bit of a role to play, but now mm-hmm. it's at the executive table. Chief supply chain officers are going to be a thing in companies of all sizes moving forward. Technology is going to get better. So mm-hmm. supply chain is now in the boardroom and it used to be in the back room and that's, that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Does that make it harder to find talent then if there is that such a demand for that higher, higher level strategic we, we personally have, have struggled to find what I'd call talent, I guess, at the mid-tier of people's careers. So we have a renewed focus and we work very closely with Dr. Raj and his group at your college who, who have an amazing program to hire that next generation of talent, invest in that. One of my good things from a sales perspective is I've got an average employee tenure of 12 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, same with our customer tenure, but you know, and, and as good as that is from a BD standpoint to, to a potential customer, you, you know, you've got seasoned transportation professional, yada yada. There's a big retirement wave coming, so it's on us to work with great partners like your college, who have, and not just logistics programs, full supply chain programs, create a pathway for them to come in, not churn and burn them in two to three years, and and give them a career. So that's what we are hyper focused on. And are you seeing that impact at the student level, Dr. Rush? Yes, I, I think as, as academics, I think it is our burden to kind of give the industry the leaders that they are looking for. So as academics, we are always looking at, hey, what's happening in the business world? What are their needs? So are we teaching them curriculum that was pre-pandemic or pre-historic? Or are we bringing them to the contemporary structure? And I, I, I like what Joe said. I think that the students today uh, don't want to be lectured. Uh, that's a big thing. I think what we need to tell them is that, hey, within this boundary, tell me what you can do. That's right. Yep. Give them that that flexibility to kind of go out there and learn. But the biggest thing that I see as from students, we need to teach our students how to fail. I think the one big thing that I see is that our students don't know how to fail. Uh, in business, you will fail. Uh, and that that's not the end all. So I, I, I think that this, under this gamut, give them the flexibility, allow them to fail and learn from that and they'll be stronger. That's a very good point. Um, you know, everyone has a passion, right? Including us here, right? It's our job as leaders to get, my words, to get folks in the right seat of the bus, mm-hmm. right? 
we're, if we're not challenging ourselves, if, if our, our associates aren't challenging themselves, they're not going to make mistakes, right? The key is to minimize that, that, that risk, yeah. right? And out of the 10 decisions that, that they make, if one or two of those are wrong, there really ends up being so minute that it doesn't change the course. Mm -hmm. And it allows them, sometimes as a leader, you, you need them to keep going down that path. We keep them out of harm's way, but to make that mistake and kind of guide around it so, so they learn from that. Yeah. And not to point it in their face, but to say, okay, lessons learned. What did we learn from that? And coach them through that. Mm -hmm. That's what made us strong. I love that. Can I add a, sure. a, a nice story? This is interesting. So in my, in my logistics class, I have students design a warehouse based on the demands of, of a customer. So one guy or one team designed a warehouse in length that was longer than the Eiffel Tower. I let them do it. The litmus test. So they did the math. And then I, when they presented their stuff, I said, Guys, I wanted to do one thing, not to put it in their face. I said, can you check the height of the Eiffel Tower? So you get a sense. So this is that abstract versus real. Yeah. So they were just doing the math and they gave me a number. I said, do you know what you just designed for me? Think about now a warehouse that is longer than the <laughs> Eiffel Tower. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's interesting for them to kind of become real. It's yeah. not like we are just doing something in, in, in an abstract theory world. You'll have to get that through land development, which is not good. <laughs> oh, land development, I have another story. One guy was willing to move shipment from China to India. Mm -hmm. And I said, pull up the map. There is the something called the Himalayas in between. <laughs> Where are the roads from there to here? Right. So it's, it's interesting. Yeah. That's good. That's actually perfect. Because I want to end on a question about the news. And we're hearing a lot right now about China and the economy there and potential sl slowing and actual slowing. So I'm curious if you are seeing any ripple effects and what ripple effects you might be expecting from that. Um, I know, Mike, it's way outside of your county, but I'm just curious if that's something that you've had to give thought to or if it might at some point play a role in, in your thought and your planning. Yeah, I think at the, at the larger regional scale, we're looking at the... Um, the effects on the Port of Baltimore, the Port of New York. Um, and we are in such a unique location, you know, here in South Central Pennsylvania, that yeah, I think is the reason, part of the reason that we are seeing such an explosion of uh, logistics and, and, and warehousing. Um, so it's not something that I can say I've done a ton of research on, to be honest, and, and that's when I look to uh, partners in the in the private sector to better understand those things. And that's why, you know, we facilitate kind of conversations just like this. But but certainly, I mean, we, we are trying to pay attention yeah, to the, the effects, especially at uh, Baltimore, New York. Well, Ryan, you're in the what-if business, so what's the what-if here? <laughs> yeah, the, the, there's a lot of what-if around this exact topic, Joel. And, and, and you know, part of that is that the advisor is to say, hey, if, if some kind of, if the tariff went to this, if you went to this port, if this happened here, what would this do? So we're running dozens of these every day for a lot of customers here in York County who do import from China. And it's dozens and dozens and dozens of simulation, which keeps it fun. And then when they need us to execute, like, for example, we've... we've uh, for a lot of customers here in York County, we've started bringing product in through Canada and then been trucking it down just to avoid LA Long Beach altogether, or or because uh, that's, that's a big piece of the equation. But it's whatever is happening. The nice thing is to have an analytic solution prepared so that the small manufacturer who 
doesn't know what to do, you know, the, the big companies can, can navigate this because they can throw cash at it. But for the, the small $3 million manufacturer, they're going to have an operational battle plan no matter what happens. So what do you see as some of the, some of the possible, possible ripple effects? I think we're from a transportation perspective, we're still in this very kind of uncertain area. And, you know, you've had certain things happen domestically here, like yellow transportation going out, the fifth largest LTO care going out of business. Um, I think as it relates to the China situation, I think that combined with yellow, combined with uh, where diesel is, all of that is going to lead to one general thing, which is freight costs are going to go up again. So it, it's it's on us as advisors to help small companies say it's not really about it's, it's education thing one. It's not about true raw cost savings right now. It's about how do we mitigate what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. How do we play the hand that's going to be dealt? How do we mitigate what's going to happen? Because raw cost savings aren't going to be a thing coming up. So I think. Mm-hmm. Shippers can expect to see freight costs rise probably through all modes of transportation from parcel to LTL to truckload to imports and exports. Right. Joe, how about you? What, what do you see? What are you seeing as the uh, the ripples? So so for us, uh, we'll bring product in from Europe, uh, mm-hmm. very little from, from China. And, and uh, the equipment that we manufacture is within the States mm-hmm. in Canada. So... So for us, we're not. I'm not seeing that type of uh, uh, activity as as Ryan would see. Yeah. All right. <laughs> and Dr. Uh, Roger. So, so I I kind of look at it from a different perspective. Uh, slowdown in China might have an impact on when we talk about moving stuff from different countries. We talk about the total landed cost. So my freight cost, whether I move material from China or I move material from Vietnam, my freight cost is going to be what it is. Maybe the shippers might charge a different structure. What will change for customers is the cost price that we were getting from China because the cost price was less. The freight cost is is pretty much identical. Mm -hmm. So for companies, if if China slows down, uh, are we shifting our sourcing base from China to some other country? But logistics will still be there. Uh, That freight cost will still be there. And as Ryan said, as consolidation occurs, that's where the costs are going to rise. Consolidation occurs, there'll be small player, I mean, there'll be bigger players, they'll have a market share, and then when that happens, then prices will go up. Dr. Roger brings up a great point. It actually ties back to your earlier question, Joel, around even pre-transportation. A lesson learned, especially for a lot of businesses here around us, dozens and dozens of your county manufacturers have learned to build up the strength of that supplier base mm-hmm. so that when China does go offline, if it slows down, whatever it is, now I've got tier two through six ready to go. May have to pay a little more to get here, but I'm still going to get my material in and I'm going to be able to get a finished good out to my customer. So pre-pandemic, it was, no, I'm good. We're, we're, uh, we're getting everything from China. It's fine. And, and now companies have, have absolutely learned that and, and they're going to use it. Sure, sure. They're building long-term relationships with the supply base versus moving apart from what supplier A to supplier B for you know 50 cents cheaper. Exactly. Right? And, and, and can I add something, Joel, that you said was really important uh, in, 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 in pre-pandemic we were all about just in time yes uh, I, yes I'm still a believer of just in time but now that's me in a romanticized ideal world <laughs> uh, what you just said was absolutely correct we are now planning for just in case yeah so I'm not undermining the importance of just in time but hey let's be real you're running a company I can sit here and talk about just in time all day long you yeah. need material on the f- floor that's just in case so that that changes that dynamics Absolutely. really focus on economical order quantity right what makes sense 
on standard parts and or are there parts that you can make standard that were one-offs in the fashion and even if that's adjusting the design a little bit to be able to have that standard component build that relationship with the supply base right and 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 continue to move forward and and then that's again the fun part of being in the what if business is exactly to to joe's point there you know where do i flesh out my eoq with the customer level versus safety stock target levels what's that fine balance and like a lot of companies have done smartly and appropriately they want to run out of product it's i'm just going to buy a ton of raw material and take a chance Hmm. and and now they're sitting on a lot of excess inventory but that's been the game and it's Mm -hmm. been a tough one to play and and the next step of that is the min max triggers the min max right And, and what is that window, that sweet spot for, for your operation? I'm a bigger fan of MinMax as opposed to EOK. EOK is a good theoretical yep. foundation, but uh, for companies, MinMax is, is much better. Absolutely. Yeah, they're certainly tied together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you all very much. I appreciate it. Enjoy the... Yeah, thank you for having us. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Fun. <laughs> all right. Thank you for joining us on this edition of the York County Economic Alliance podcast produced in partnership with BizNews PA. Join us in October as we discuss local innovations in technology.